So it's my opinion that one of the signs of growing up is the importance of knowing not to waste things. I say this because if you look at most children, I have three kids, right? And, and I, I see them, and, and oftentimes, you know, they'll leave the water on, and, you know, or, or, they'll, you know, or they'll leave the shower on, and they don't really care. They don't really understand that we're in a drought right now, you know, even though they did pass a big bill, right? Maybe we'll get some water in the valley. But kids don't understand that we're in a drought. They don't really care, right? They have no concept of the fact that they're wasting it. Or they don't think about how much food costs or that the fact that a person had to make them food, you know, and you might make them a homemade pizza or whatever. You know, sometimes I'll do that and, uh, you know, I'll accidentally leave like a tomato blob in it. Like, tomato blob? You know, what, what's this? this? This offends me kind of thing. You know, or, or you know, you know, whatever it might be, you take them out to the nicest restaurant and they're like, I'm just going to let it sit and get cold or I'll just throw it away when nobody's looking. Kids have no concept of, of waste. They don't really think about it. Think about our environment. Trash, just throw it on the ground, right? Or give it to mom and dad, they'll throw it away somehow. But think about also the things that we give our kids, the clothes we give them. New clothes, I'll go slide around in the grass. I'll, you know, I'll go do some sliding practice or I'll go play in the mud. Or paint in them, which is even worse. How many of you and I would buy new clothes and then go out and do a painting project? Not many of us. Why? Because as adults, as we grow up, we, we realize the concept of waste. And we, you know, realize what it goes into those things and, and how much they cost and, you know, what it really takes. Well, tonight we're instructed to walk in maturity as believers in Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is going to teach us as children of God, the importance of not wasting our Christian life. Because when we really understand what goes into our Christian life, we won't want to waste it. We understand that it took God a great sacrifice to buy us out of sin, to buy us out of slavery. But also, we learn that there's so much more for us as we walk with Jesus. We don't want to waste it. Now, commenting on waste, we're told in verse 39 that the writer encourages the believers not to turn back to perdition. Now, Warren Wiersbe says the following concerning this word, perdition. He says the Greek word translated perdition is used about 20 times in the New Testament, and it's translated by different words, perish in Acts 8.20, die in Acts 25.16, destruction in Romans 9.22, and waste in Matthew 26.8. The word can mean eternal judgment, but it need not in every instance. I personally believe that waste is the best translation for this word. A believer who does not walk by faith goes back and, and goes back into the old ways, wastes his life. And that's really what the concept of the writer is talking about. Now, as we'll see the cultural context and the historical context applying to those guys, as they, if they would choose to go back, they would receive physical discipline and they would waste their life. But there's also a spiritual application for you and I as believers tonight. Sin wastes our Christian life. It hinders us from those good things that God wants to do both in and through us. And because of that, we need to be encouraged by this passage to endure, to press forward, regardless of the trials or tribulations that come our way. The writer's going to encourage us and instruct us how we can do so. And he's going to teach us three things. He's going to give us three reminders to keep in our mind as we walk forward with the Lord. Those three reminders are the following. Number one, remember to keep your mind on things above. Number two, remember Christ is coming back. And number three, 
remember to walk by faith and not by sight. So first in verses 32 through 35, we're reminded to keep our minds on things above. Look at verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. So the writer now begins this last section of chapter 10 by taking these believers down memory lane. He says, hey guys, I want you to think back. He wants them to recall the former days after they were illuminated. Now the word recall means to reconstruct in their mind those former days. It's much more than just, you know, taking a sentimental moment to think back. No, it's to reconstruct those days, to, to think about them intently, and then also to apply them. We'll see that in verse 35. He's going to apply it. He said, therefore, based on the fact that you're remembering how you were and, you know, and how you were walking, this is now how I want you to press forward. Now, the phrase, after they were illuminated, refers to their salvation in Jesus Christ. To illuminate means to be enlightened. And these Jewish believers were enlightened. You see, they grew up in Judaism. They grew up studying the law and the Torah and the prophets. But it wasn't until they came in contact with the gospel that they truly understand who God is, what the Bible teaches, you know, about salvation and also about the purpose of life. You know, the Lord is the fulfillment to those things. And the Lord taught the Pharisees this. As the Lord was on the earth, the Pharisees were very prideful about the fact that they kept the law and also the traditions, the things that they added to the law. You know, they thought they were righteous. And the Lord told them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but it's they that speak of me. And he said, if you follow me, then you'll have life in that more abundant. So Jesus is the fulfillment to life. Jesus is the key to understanding the scriptures and God and salvation. It's all focused on him. Now, in talking about this word illumination, it's actually pretty cool because it not only refers to the fact that we understand God and the fact that through the gospel we come to know the many things about the Bible, but also shows us how we come to know these things. You see, because illumination is not just us being smart. It's the work of the Holy Spirit on a person's heart. The reason why we can know these things is because God wanted to teach us them. Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit that before we are saved, he, the spirit of truth, has come, and he said he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so before you were a believer, before you heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit was with you, working on your heart, convicting you. When you heard the gospel, it was he who was convicting you of your sin, showing you Jesus, the righteous one, and showing you the fact that if you reject the gospel, you'll receive judgment. It was the Spirit working on your heart. And that should give you an encouragement as you share your faith. Because often we think, man, unless I learn, like, you know, all these clever lines and Unless I know every fact about the Bible to, in order to convince somebody that they need to get saved. No, that's, you know, we, we should know our faith and how to defend our faith and things like that. But you know what? It's the Spirit of God that goes before you. All you got to do is preach the gospel. It's the Spirit that does the work. And the Spirit was at work in these folks' hearts. He illuminated God to them. But now they were saved. The moment they believed in Jesus, the Spirit now was in them. He, and he was with them, walking with them. And as they studied the scriptures, as they received this text, it was the Holy Spirit, the one who was taken out of the text and applying it to their life. And that's the same thing for you and I as we walk with God. It was the Spirit who convicted us and showed us our need for Christ. And now, the moment we believe that gospel, the Bible said God comes and lives in us. And he's now the one who gives us power to live the Christian life. 
And then as we walk with God, the Lord wants to teach us. He doesn't want to leave us as babies. And so he's going to teach us. So as we go to Bible studies like tonight or you read your Bible on your own, which you should, which is why we study verse by verse, by the way, so you get to learn to read the Bible, you know, on your own with your own walk. The Spirit will take these things and apply them to your life. He'll show you these things, speak to you prophetically. And so these believers had that experience. Now we know they had this experience because they were able to endure persecution. They had a great endurance in times of suffering, in times of persecution. They were fulfilling just as Jesus said. Jesus told his disciples there in Matthew 10, he says, hey guys, if you follow me, you're gonna be persecuted. They're gonna treat you just like you treat me. Now in a sense, we think, oh man, Lord, really? But in a sense, we also know, man, if they're treating me like they treat Jesus, then they must see Jesus in me. And that's what they saw in these believers. It's pretty cool. It's by implication, we see that these believers' lives were changed when they were eliminated. You see, they didn't just believe in Jesus and then stayed the same way that they were. You know, continuing to do the same things, continue to hang out with the same people, speak the same way, act the same way. No, they were totally different. You know, something changed in their life the moment they heard the gospel. The people they associated with were, you know, was different. The way they, they lived was different. The way they spoke, no doubt, was different as Jesus was the center of their focus, the center of their speech. And these things rubbed the people the wrong way around them, this Jewish community. And it brought persecution into their life. Now, for you and I as believers, if we're illuminated by the Holy Spirit, if we have this work of God in our heart, and then us too will also have this same experience. We also too will have our faith manifested to the world. On Sunday mornings, we've been going through James, and James says, faith without works is dead. A true saving faith will be a working faith. Historically, believers have said, we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It will produce works. It will produce good fruit. And as you produce these good fruits around the world around you, it's going to bring persecution. It's going to bring suffering. But you know what? The Lord will give us strength to endure, as we'll see from this text. We can continue to stand. Now, the other evidence that these folks were believers and that their lives were changed is given to us in the parable of the sower taught by Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 6. He described the gospel going forth in the church age and described it falling on different grounds, which is different types of hearts. Now, we all want to be that good heart, which is open, that receives the word and that produces fruit, right? Some 20-fold, some 30, some 100-fold. But he described the seed, the gospel, as it falls on shallow hearts or stony hearts. He says, some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And then he goes on to explain what he meant. He said, but the ones on the rock are those when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root because for a while, um, and only believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. He said, those, you know, who hear it on the rock are those who, who hear it, but they never really apply it. They never really receive the Lord. And it's evidence because when persecution or tribulation comes, they fall away. Where are they? Well, they're not there anymore. And the Lord says, well, it's evident they were never born again to begin with. They never received the word in their heart. They only heard the word. These believers were not like that. You see, they were saved, 
they had the illumination of the Spirit. And even as young believers, as new believers, man, they came under the storm of persecution. But they didn't turn. They continued to press forward. They continued to endure. And the writer is encouraging them here in that. Now, concerning these great struggles and sufferings that these believers faced, we're told what they were in verses 30, 33 through 34. He says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions in those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So these, believe, these, um, these verses tell us how these believers suffered and, and why they suffered. Now, why these believers suffered, first of all, was because of their personal testimony, because of their personal faith in Jesus. And second, it's because of their association with others who preach Jesus. And so the writer says, yeah, man, you guys were suffering, you guys were persecuted, and the reason is, man, because you guys were living for Jesus, and also you guys weren't ashamed to associate with those who were living for Jesus. Now, concerning how they suffered, we're told that they were made a spectacle by their reproaches and tribulations. The word spectacle is, where, you know, is a word where we get our word theater. So in other words, they were put on a public stage by their sufferings and persecutions. They were reproached in front of the community that they were in. So to be reproached means to be publicly mocked. So in a sense, the writer is saying, yeah, you guys were like put on a stage like clowns to be made fun of because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You were reproached. Now, the culture that they lived in was not a popular, you know, uh, it was not popular to be a Christian in that culture. The Jews of the first century considered them heretics. They considered them a cult because they were following Jesus. They were hostile against them. The Romans, they really didn't understand Christianity at first. They just thought, you know, Christianity is weird, and then they realized, man, these people are changing the world around us. We need to do something about this. I know, let's start killing them. You know, and so, so Christians weren't understood. It wasn't a popular thing to be a believer. But yet these believers continued to endure. They were publicly reproached. They were publicly mocked. But yet they pressed forward. Also, they received tribulations. Now, the tribulations that they received is not dying for their faith. We're told in chapter 12 of Hebrews, and two chapters over, the writer said at that time, he said, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against yourself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And so while these believers were being mocked and reproached, while they were suffering, they had not yet resisted the blood. In other words, they weren't dying yet for their faith. Sounds a lot like you and I, huh? So here we are, we can put ourselves in this text. Oftentimes, man, when you read these New Testament books, you're like, how can that apply to me? They're all being stoned for their faith, right? But these guys, us, we haven't yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin yet. Many believers in the Far East are in the 1040 window. But yet, just like them, we also too are often reproached and mocked for our faith, aren't we? In the United States, as our world and our nation grows more secular, humanistic, you know, as people around us think, you guys are crazy worshiping Jesus. But also, these believers suffered personal things, personal loss. Because of their witness, because of their association to preach Christ and uh, association with those who preach Christ, their material items in their homes were confiscated. 
they were taken away. Their goods were plundered. And so, man, as soon as they accepted Christ, that you know, these folks came in, they seized their goods, they, they ran them out of their houses, yet they're all left beggars for associating with Jesus. This would not be the sermon that you would hear on TV today, right? You know, t- in, on TV today, Christianity, t- you know, on TV today is all about promising you material wealth and health and, and everything else that goes along with it. Believe in Jesus, man, and your life is going to be better. I was watching um, a, a video. I don't know how I stumbled onto it, but it was a video of Joel Osteen. And he was on there, and he was promising everybody in that room, uh, the large stadium that he's in, that if they ever suffered anything wrong in their life, God was going to repay them back, and he guaranteed that he was going to repay them back. I was like, wow, that's pretty bold, because the Bible says we don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow, right? And so, false prophets, me. And so, you know, and so, I mean, we don't, we don't know that. We can't say that. Now, we do know that as a believer, God has given us all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, but we're, no long, we're not promised health, wealth, and prosperity as some of these teachers do. And after they promise that, then they'll want all your money too, to, you know, to come back. The writer here is not necessarily pressing them, promising the best life now, but he's promising them the abundant life now. That abundant life would be the life in God's will as they press forward. As we're gonna see, that's what the writer is gonna say here. He says, hey guys, after you have endured the will of God, you're gonna receive the reward. So they were in the will of God. Even in the midst of their suffering, God had them right where they wanted because that is where God was gonna work the most out of their life. He was gonna bring forth fruit and that remained. So despite the storms that came to these new believers, they continued to press forward in patient endurance. They did not turn away. They, they did not think about themselves or become inward. Rather, they continued to show compassion on those persecuted saints, even while they were suffering and persecuted. That's a serious thing to do, especially as you face trials and storms in your own life. It's easy to become very inward, right? But these believers weren't. They, they continued to focus on others even when they were suffering. Now notice the motivation for these new believers. It's described at the end of verse 34. They knew that they had a better and enduring possession in heaven. You see, that's the first reminder. Their minds were not on the things of the earth, but on the things above. That's what kept them driving forward. It wasn't the best life now. It was the reward that was laid up for them in heaven. They knew that they had something in heaven that no riches on earth can compare to. They knew that, you know, they could give up the temporary possessions of this world and the pleasures of this world because the reward that they would receive in heaven is so much better than anything this world can offer. Their hearts were struck with that. And that's what drove them to press forward. That's biblical Christianity. That is what makes the church dynamic and on fire. If we want to live New Testament Christianity, if we want to live the book of Acts, well, then we need to think like these guys and take our eyes off the things around us and set our minds back on the things above. And as we do that, the Lord is going to give us an endurance. He's going to give us power and, and also the excitement to press forward because I know that one day I'm going to stand in front of the Lord and there I'm going to be rewarded from him out of his venus seat. Verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Therefore, or since you are already moving forward, why stop now? Why give up? 
continue to press forward knowing that you have a reward and a possession waiting for you in heaven. You see, these believers, they were actually starting to grow weary and well-doing, and it's easy to do that as a believer, right? I mean, here they were. They were suffering. They, from the moment, you know, out of the gate, they were suffering for the Lord, but yet now they are being attacked and bombarded, and they start thinking, you know what, maybe it's time to just kind of let back a little bit and go back to Judaism. You know, kind of, we'll kind of relieve this suffering, this persecution. But the writer says, no, there is no turning back. Don't give up now your confidence that understanding that you had that you're going to receive this reward in heaven by pressing forward. You need to keep on. Don't grow weary in well-doing. These believers were not to look back at Judaism, but they were to look back at when they were first saved. They were to look back at when they were in first love with Jesus. Now, Jesus encouraged the church at Ephesus to do the same. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, let me read to you what the Lord said to the church at Ephesus. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience. You have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And so here was the church of Ephesus. They were pressing forward in labor and patience. They weren't putting up with evil doctrine. They weren't thinking about going back to Judaism. They knew what was true, and they knew what was right. They had not become weary for his name. They were continuing to press forward. But yet, they forgot something from their past that was very important. And that was that first love that they had for Jesus, that engagement love, that excitement that they had for when they came to know the Lord. And the writer says, hey, you know, the, the Lord through John says, hey, look back. Remember those things. Remember and return to your first works. They didn't have to go climb a mountain to do it. All they had to do was remember and repent. If not, they would be missing out on all that God had for them. They would, their witness would no longer be dynamic in their community. Their lampstand would be taken away. In other words, their witness in the community would fade away. And the same is true for you and I as believers. If we're going to be dynamic, if we're going to press forward, then we need to keep our minds on things above, but also we need to remember that first love that we had with Jesus when we got saved. Some of you were saved later in life, and I was, and when you came to that you know, enlightenment, the, the fact that your sins were forgiven, the fact that Jesus died for you on the cross and saved you, man, it's exciting, right? You gave up everything and just continued to press the Lord. But then as you walk with the Lord for a while, it's like, you know, it's easy to become apathetic. And the Lord wants to remind us, he wants to stir us up and say, hey, don't forget those first works. I want you to remain in that. It's not a feeling, it's an attitude, it's a commitment as we continue to press forward in love with Jesus. Second, in verses 36 to 38, we're reminded that Christ is coming back. The writer says in verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And so these believers didn't need to go out and discover the will of God. They were already in it. They were right where God wanted them. The place where they were sown, the place where they were suffering, was the place where God wanted them to grow. It's an encouraging word. I heard that one time when I was at work on the base a couple years ago, and I, and I still remember it was from Alex, Alistair Big, the name of the Scottish guy. And he said, hey, grow where you're sown. 
go where you're sown. Often it's easy for us to get antsy, right? We, the grass is always greener on the other side. And we think, that's where I'm really going to grow. And the Lord says, haven't I not sown you here? Grow where you have sown. Where's the Lord placed you? Now, that doesn't mean you can't get a different job or, 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 or do anything else. But yet, if the Lord hasn't opened up another door or if the Lord hasn't made another way or if the Lord isn't leading you, well, then maybe the Lord has you exactly where he wants you, in the marriage where he has you, right? In the, in the church where he wants you, in, in the job that he wants you, even if it might be tough. But that is where the Lord wants to grow you and bear fruit. And these believers were right where God wanted them. And they didn't need to learn the will of God to figure out where it was. They just needed to learn to endure. You have need of endurance. That's what they needed to apply to their life. They just needed to endure. Now, what does this mean, you have need of endurance? Well, it means to have a mindset to press forward and not turn back. It's real simple. Like, Lord, what does this mean? Have endurance. Give me this endurance. The Lord said, okay, press forward. Don't turn back. Okay, I can do that. But, but then we start walking and we think, okay, I can't do that. And the Lord says, yeah, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. It begins with us to make the commitment to press forward. And then as we walk forward, we realize that it's only by God's grace and by his spirit that we can continue to stand and press forward. And so you're not alone in this battle to stand. The Lord is with you. He'll give you his grace to stand. He'll give you grace to press forward wherever the Lord is calling you to go. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So now the writer is not just going to talk about these things. He's going to quote scripture now to use scripture to back up what he's saying. He now quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now the book of Habakkuk is interesting, really, in light of this context. Because Habakkuk is about a, having a conversation with God. It was a prophet who was talking to God. And he was wondering why God wasn't disciplining the southern kingdom of Judah for their sin. He said, Lord, what's going on? Why are you letting all this sin, you know, run rampant? And the Lord said, Habakkuk, if I told you, you wouldn't want to know. He said, but Lord, I'm ready. Tell me. He said, okay, well, I'm raising up the nation of Babylon to come in, and they're going to discipline Israel, and they're going to, you know, they're going to bring judgment on Israel. Lord, you know, he, he objected to that. That's what God was doing. God was going to raise up this nation to come in and dis destroy the temple and also bring discipline on the people. Well, think about the context now in this passage. These believers were living around the year 64 to 66 AD. Jesus promised because of the sin of that generation which rejected him, judgment would come and their temple would be destroyed. Last week, we talked about the warning for them not to draw back. And if they drew back, they would receive physical discipline for their disobedience. They would be associated with the destruction of the temple. Just as that nation during the time of Habakkuk, if they drew back and they didn't follow the prophet's warning to live by faith and to walk with God, they too also would receive discipline from a wicked nation. And so that's how the writer's applying it here. He said, hey, listen, guys. Just as Habakkuk was warning you guys to walk by faith, and if you walk by faith, you would have an abundant life. You would not receive discipline and judgment associated with the temple when Babylon comes. Even so, these believers would know that if they walked by faith, they also too wouldn't receive this judgment that was coming. And it did come. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. 
Titus sent his legion in that killed over a million Jews that were associated with the temple there in Jerusalem. These believers could be spared from that judgment by obeying the writing of the prophet by walking by faith. Well, how about you and I? Well, we are also too spared from discipline as we follow the Lord. As we talked about last week, sin brings sad consequences with it, right? It brings bondage. It brings, it brings death a lot of times to those around us. It destroys marriages, right? It destroys families. And the writer says, hey, listen, heed my warning. You know, the just shall live by faith. And if you draw back, the Lord's not going to have any pleasure in you. You need to continue to press forward and, and, and receive the promises that the Lord has given you. The motivation behind that is he who is, you know, the Lord who promised will come will not tarry. He will come. Jesus is going to come back for his church. He's going to resurrect the dead and rapture the church. And that gives us motivation to press forward. We are to remember that the Lord could come at any moment. And third and finally, in verse 39, we're reminded to walk by faith and not by sight. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So these believers were not to follow the example of those who had already turned back to Judaism and were putting themselves in the sights of God's judgment. Rather, they were to follow the example of Habakkuk and all the righteous believers of the past who walked by faith. And the writer is going to touch on this and expand that in chapter 11. He's going to give the hall of faith. He said, hey, guys, I'm telling you to walk by faith. Well, this is what it really means to walk by faith. And as we'll see that as we get into that extensive passage, the hall of faith, as we see those believers who patiently endured. But these believers will follow that warning right now. They're to walk by faith and not by sight. They were to not draw back, but they were to press forward. Now, to save um, the fact that those who believe would be saved in their soul doesn't refer to the fact that they're maintaining their salvation. Or if they somehow draw back, they would lose their salvation. Rather, the word, you know, the word saving the soul here refers to physical death. The fact that they would be spared from this physical judgment. But also, they would be spared from the perdition, the waste of life that would come associated with that. And, you know, so that th this is the writer's warning. And the same is true for you and I. As we press forward and walk by faith and not by sight, we're saved from the wasted life that many have around them. It's sad when believers shipwreck their witness, right? They shipwreck their walk because of sin. And it's possible to do so. And the writer warns us, and he tells us how we can avoid that. The way that we avoid that is by walking by faith. This is a principle of, of the New Testament. We're told over three times in the scriptures in the New Testament to walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. We're told that in Romans, in Galatians, and now in Hebrews. The focus of Hebrews is to live. And that's how the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to live by faith and not by sight. So in closing, let's not be childish and waste the good things that God has given us. Rather, let's be mature and follow the writer's warning and know the importance of pressing forward. We need to be like that faithful servant whom the Lord delivered talents, right? And that faithful servant took those talents and he multiplied them. And we're told that when the master came back, he rewarded those who were able to use those talents, those opportunities for the glory of Christ. And even so, that's what we want. Jesus is coming back. And as we walk by faith, the Lord will give us the strength and the, and the wisdom to multiply those things for his glory. Amen?